So today is actually World Mission Sunday in the Anglican Church in North America. That's something our churches are all part of. It's ACNA is maybe how you've heard it abbreviated. And World Mission Sunday, it's a little newer for us in various ways, but it's a time where we want to intentionally try to focus some on world missions. It's a day to remember um, Christ's call to us to make disciples of all nations, to remember our partnership um, in mission through prayer and financial support and other resource support. It's also meant to be an opportunity to remember to be listening to God for ourselves. What is our part in making disciples in this world? So really, um, you see that in our collect for the day. You'll see that throughout the readings and especially in our gospel reading, which is what we're going to be digging into. Uh, As I was thinking about this focus on world missions and looking at our gospel text, I was really drawn to memories of Merida, Mexico. Uh, Merida, Mexico is a place where the youth group from Church of the Cross and adults and a few from Restoration as well, um, we've gone down there on mission trips a couple times now. If you're not sure where that is, if you know the Yucatan Peninsula, uh, Cancun is over on the east side of that peninsula. Merida is about 200 miles straight west across the peninsula. Uh, We've gone down there just to try to support three different churches that were growing in some relationship with, and we have some fun connections too, uh, being connected to the YWAM base and one of our members at our church. So we've done, you know, kids' ministries, teaching the adults that they've specifically requested, different labor tasks, um, what the churches have asked for specifically we've tried to do. But really the best part being there isn't, of course, what we get to do. It's the, the excitement of the people in the churches. They're so excited to share their lives and their stories and what Jesus has done with them with another part of the body of Christ. Uh, and they, they really enjoy ministering to us as much as, if not more, as our ability to come and try to minister there to them. The last time we were there, we had a little more space in our, in our time to let um, the people in these churches share more stories about themselves, to remind us of how God had been working there. Um, it's a great thing to get to just hear people talk about how Jesus has been working. They get to share, even if you're traveling from hundreds of miles away, getting to hear people share about what Jesus has done is totally worth it in that regard. Um, one of the stories that I remember the most was a story that came from Pastor Raphael. Uh, Pastor was, uh, uh, Raphael was uh, over one of the churches there, it was the church that hosted us, so we would sleep in that church in hammocks, they tended to be the ones who fed us, took care of us, so we got to spend a lot of time with him and a few other members of that church. Uh, Raphael was a wonderfully joyful, kind, loving man. He was so excited to have us there and so excited when we returned. He blessed us in so many ways. And he, it was so obvious, he loved Jesus so much. One, he kind of said it all the time. He wanted to make sure we knew. Um, But he just saw it in the way he acted. Uh, And he told us, I think it was the first full day we were there, um, his story and the start of some of these churches, and especially the story of how he came to know Jesus. That was about, I think it's around 30 years ago now. It's a member from our church. David Clark was a young man in Merida, Mexico, trying to spread the gospel in what ways he could. Um, He was especially managing to connect with the children of the community. It was a really, really poor community, very harsh, hard conditions in so many ways. And so the kids just latched on to a smiling face, a chance for some fun and and some other things. And so David led little Bible classes for them, taught about Jesus, um, played with the kids. And and really quite a few children were coming to, to know and love Jesus through him. Uh, And Raphael was father to at least two of those kids who came to Jesus because of what David had been doing there in those ways. And his response to David's work was not at all what might have been expected. Uh, He was actually deeply and violently angry with David. Uh, He didn't trust him. He greatly disliked Americans. He had no trust for the church. There's a long history of hurts that the church has done there in Mexico and, and Latin America in general. So as his kids kept attending these classes and hearing about Jesus, talking about Jesus, 
talking about David, um, Raphael was furious. He went to confront David. Uh, he told us he intended to assault or even kill him when he found him. Um, and at this point, the story got a little harder to follow because he was very excited and our interpreter couldn't always keep up. Um, but Raphael told us how he went out to find David. And if I remember, he found like a huge rock or piece of concrete and tried to actually come up behind him and beat him with it. He dropped it, thankfully. And, and in those moments, David didn't fight back. He, he didn't, Raphael kept coming after him, yelling at him, screaming, and David tried to love him, tried to respond. Um, and it wasn't that night, I believe, but it wasn't long before all of this really touched Raphael. It really struck him. And he did come to find the forgiveness and love in Jesus with David's help there. And of course, be completely transformed into that pastor that we knew. So Pastor Raphael told us this amazing story, not because we should think highly of him or not because we should just focus on David, though they really loved David there in so many ways. He told us that story because he wanted us to think and know about Jesus more. It was Jesus Christ who had really loved those kids and drawn them to himself. It was Jesus who kept Raphael from actually hurting David. And it was the love and power of Jesus that broke Raphael's hurt and hatred and just completely transformed him. And it's for us a great reminder, especially today, World Mission Sunday, um, that the very center of our mission, the core of our call to go and make disciples is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is what we see emphasized in our gospel reading today as well. So these verses in in front of us in the bulletin here um, from Matthew, this is actually the beginning of one of Jesus' longer sermons in this book. It's going to take up all of chapter 10, and it's all about mission. Or in the language of this passage, it's all about the harvest. So this story introduces that teaching and really lays out the foundation for everything that is coming next. It's, it's very much meant to bring us to the very core of the mission we're about to be taught on and see there at that core, at the center, that this is actually all about the work of Jesus. It's not about our own labors. So we see the passage begins um, with the work of Jesus. It's very much a perfect example of what this mission is, what the harvest looks like. These first few verses remind us of the content of the gospel or the good news that we are to live and to proclaim. So we see Jesus here as teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's, again, it's the good news. The, the gospel of the kingdom, it's a very short phrase, but Matthew actually expects us here to have a very full understanding of what he's talking about at this point. The kingdom of God was, was a very central idea for first century Jews, and it's really central in Matthew's gospel. And he's up to this point in the book, he's given a lot of content to fill up that idea. So he expects us to bring that to bear at this point in the story. So when he says Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom here, what he means, he wants us to think about Jesus telling the people that God is remembering his promises and his people, that God will act again as their king to defeat evil and deliver them from bondage, that God will forgive their sins, bring them back into relationship with himself, that he will bring peace and righteousness and set all things right. All of these are things that God the King has promised to do and is now doing, is what Jesus is proclaiming. And with this, in the Gospel of Matthew especially, we are supposed to remember that Jesus is proclaiming that all of this will come through him. It will come through his life, ministry, death, resurrection, Jesus isn't proclaiming some vague future kingdom to come. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God coming in and through himself right now. That is central to all of the things that Jesus preaches and teaches as he ministers. It's also what his great actions of, of, of justice and mercy proclaim. 
We see also in these, these verses, Jesus is healing every disease and every affliction. You can imagine lepers being restored, the blind receiving sight, the lame walking, and a whole lot more than that. This is another reminder that when God is king, all things will be made right. It's also a reminder that Jesus comes in the authority and power of God to actually set things right and to make us whole. All of this is that good news of the kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming. And it is also the good news of the kingdom here in verse 36 where we see when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Part of the good news too is that Jesus will himself be shepherd of his people. It's a reminder that we won't be harassed and helpless or confused, distressed, beaten down forever. We will be and are lovingly and carefully watched over, provided for, nurtured by our good shepherd. But perhaps in all of this, most important is, is when, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because this gets us to the very heart of Jesus. This is why he is proclaiming the kingdom, healing the sick, why he wants to be the shepherd. He has compassion on the people, even us. And so he comes and he teaches, he heals, he shepherds. Jesus doesn't come and see the crowds and say, wow, such wicked sinners. It's horrible. I guess someone has to do something. He doesn't say, gross, they're so sick and icky and I should probably deal with that, I guess. And he doesn't say, you know what, they're in bad shape, but they brought that on themselves. Instead, he sees the crowds and he has great compassion for them. Now, of course, we are sinners. Of course, we are subject to death and we have brought great hurt upon ourselves and others. But when Jesus sees us, he truly loves us. He has compassion on us. That means he actually suffers with us. We matter so much to him that our suffering is his suffering. And he does then deliver us from sin and death, but it's not in a detached or medicinal way. It's always an outpouring of his great love for us. This is the very center of our mission, the reason for the harvest, the great compassionate love of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, that God truly loves us. And he, so he makes a way for us to be freed from sin and death and find forgiveness, live always with him. And of course, this is good news for all the world. So we really shouldn't be surprised that Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. I mean, of course it is. This is what the world needs. Everyone needs redeeming, restoring the love of Jesus. And Jesus is promising many will turn to him. It will be a very plentiful harvest. Let us be encouraged. Sharing the gospel can be very hard, but there will be plentiful harvest. Even if we don't always see the outcome of our labors, we know Christ's harvest is great. So after this reminder of what the good news really is, and really even the certainty of the plentiful harvest from there, now we come to Jesus' direction for us. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, go out and do some harvesting. He doesn't actually say that, does he? It's, we have to again remember, it's actually, it's not about us here. It's not about our work. Again, the core of the mission, the key to the harvest is actually the work of Jesus. So what he actually tells us to do is, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Our part in this starts with asking God to do his part. We don't jump right in and send ourselves or others out. We don't start with making huge plans and strategies. 
we begin with prayer. And actually, I'm sure you realize this, restoration began with years of prayer from Rick and Molly and others thinking, praying to God about what to do next. It begins with prayer. So our starting point in the mission is turning to Jesus and asking for his work. Because the only way this harvest will be completed is if the Lord of the harvest, the king who reigns, if he sends out laborers into his harvest. Again, it is all about the work of God in Christ. At this point in the passage, I really love the word laborers here. Some translations put workers. I slightly prefer that because it's just easier to say out loud. Um, it's just a really intentionally broad word, laborers, workers. It's, it's unspecialized in every way. Jesus doesn't say pray that God send out pastors, pray for evangelists, leaders, shepherds, teachers, prophets. He just says pray for workers. Now, of course, that can be everything I just listed, but can also be so many other things. So anyone can be a worker in this harvest. It's not just for a specialized few. It's not about all the proper training and proper credentials because it's not primarily about the laborers. It is about the Lord putting those laborers where he wants them in his harvest. And after we see that, we're supposed to see next real reassurance that God actually will respond to our prayers with workers. It's not just a pointless thing. God will definitely respond to prayers for this. Sometimes we kind of miss this. If you notice in your passage, there's actually a chapter break um, between verse 38, where we're praying for laborers, and then the next verse, verse 1 here. So don't ignore that. Just kind of ignore that break. Don't look at it. And here instead, just listen. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. So verse 1 in chapter 10 there, that's the first immediate response to those prayers. Jesus tells his disciples to pray, perhaps they've even started, and then he calls them to himself and he sends them out to continue in this mission. This is a strong lesson for us. There is power in prayer because there is power in our God who we pray to. He is faithful to listen and answer. As we pray for laborers, he will call and send them out. It is really wonderful. Of course, we aren't meant to expect here that our prayers are always answered quite so quickly or dramatically as this, or that we can just pray once and be done. This is a lifetime work of prayer, and we do not know when or how God will actually respond as we ask him to send out workers. Uh, My grandpa Bud um, is someone that I I really looked up to in so many ways in in my life. I still do look up to him. Um, One of the big things I looked up to was that he was very much a man of prayer. And I even saw this when I was really young. Sometimes we'd be staying um, with him and my grandpa and, and he would get up quite early before going to the farm and start doing chores and, and he'd be moving around the house so you'd wake up and peek out the door and you'd always then see him sitting at the table with his Bible open, reading his Bible and praying. And, and I know he was praying for his family, he's praying for his neighbors, praying for his church and he was praying for laborers into this harvest. He actually had a very specific request that went along with that prayer for laborers. It was a request that he had actually picked up from his mother, uh, which is my great-grandma, if you're paying attention. Years ago, um, she had felt God leading her to pray for her, for her kids, or maybe their kids, or her family in some way. She just felt like she was supposed to be praying that one of her family would be a pastor. And she prayed that for years, maybe even decades, when then my grandpa began praying that with her. He continued praying that after she died. 
They kept praying, not knowing how or when God would answer. And then after I'd been working at Church of the Cross for a few years, I was preparing for my ordination. Um, My grandpa and my grandma made sure to tell me this story. Um, I'm the first pastor in the Berg family um, in this. So my grandpa and my great-grandma had been in some way praying for me for 50 or 60 years or more. I'm 36. I didn't actually know my great-grandma, but they were just praying for me a long time before I was ever born. They prayed for laborers as they felt God had said they should, and they persevered in that prayer. And my grandpa got to come to my ordination. He got to see some of the outworking of this prayer. Our Lord is very good and faithful to answer prayers. And oftentimes, he's full of surprises in the way he answers them. My parents, my my grandpa and grandma, they prayed for a pastor. They didn't know what an Anglican pastor meant at the time, but that's what they got anyway. So we were supposed to pray for laborers. We can't take this call lightly. Jesus will respond, and often he will do so in ways and times we do not expect. But have faith. Our prayers do matter. So if you look back at chapter 10, verse 1, we see Jesus calls his disciples as laborers to send them out. We should also see and be very glad that first he empowers them for this mission. Jesus gives them authority over demons, gives them authority to heal. He gives them the gifts they would need for the mission. Now I know having authority to heal or cast out spirits may not seem like a very normal thing for you or for me, But I think the point here is not that God gives us all the same gifts, but he gives his workers what we need for the mission we've been called to. And even more, we need to remember, God empowers us not as simply individuals. I will not have every gift, nor will you, but he pours out his gift on the whole church. It helps to recognize that the 12 disciples are often meant as a symbol for the people of God. They're like a stand-in for the church. So here, we do see Christ empowering and sending out his apostles, but we're also meant to see him empowering and sending out his church to be workers in the harvest. And then remember that he does give all gifts to his church, even some of the ones that feel a little more unusual to us. Now, at this point, we could spend a lot of time thinking about the ways that Jesus does gift his people for mission, not simply with authority to heal, but authority to teach and proclaim his gospel and teaching, for instance, many other things. But I think, again, Matthew intends for us to turn our thoughts back to the person and work of Jesus. Jesus tells us to pray to him for laborers. He calls and sends us out into his harvest. He empowers us for ministry. Again, the core of all of this is Jesus. Our mission will be accomplished not through our own strength or wisdom or power, but through his. I do hope this comes actually as a relief for us. Spreading the good news of the kingdom, bringing healing, hope, and the good shepherd into the world, it's something that we participate in, obviously, but ultimately it's not up to us. We can't make people turn to Jesus. We can't make the harvest plentiful. Jesus takes responsibility for all of that, and that's very good news. Though at the same time, I know for some of this, for ourselves, this, this is a relief, but it's also a great challenge. It's easy to be confident in our own strength, to be confident in our own speaking ability or our own insight into people, our ability to help them. It can be hard to keep Christ at the forefront of all of this. It is hard to pray and then wait on God. It's hard to pray and truly listen, expecting him to answer, to be patient and wait for his guidance. It's hard to give up that control. It's especially hard when it's about the places where we live, where we are called to work, in our families, our friends, 
in our workplaces, in our direct ministries in our lives, it's a lot easier to pray for laborers for far away and then trust him. We can't really do much more than that, can we? But can we also trust him to bring in the harvest right here where we are, where his people, where the people are that, that we love? This is another reason why we are first called to prayer because as we turn in submission to the Lord of the harvest, we can find his strength and also his reassurance, his rest. He will do what is right and we can rest in that. Again, none of this means that we can only rest, that we can only pray and let God deal with it all himself. Even in this passage, it is his gospel, his harvest, his workers, his gifts given for the work. He still calls his disciples. He still calls his church to go out into that harvest. It's just we don't go out in our own wisdom and power, but in his. So on this mission Sunday and beyond, let us feel that call and draw again to pray. Let us be faithful to pray for laborers in this harvest, to pray for mission. Obviously, be praying for restoration. Pray for our diocese. Remember your mission partners here in prayer and as you're doing with financial and other support. And as you are in that life of prayer, praying for laborers, keep in mind that very often God's answer to our prayers will actually begin with us. Listen then to how God is calling you into his harvest. How you're being called here at home, among your family, your neighbors, and coworkers. And then for some of us, how we may be called to even beyond that. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that it's all about you and that you are worthy for it to all be focused on. We're thankful for your love and your grace, for your gospel and for, for redeeming, restoring us in you. And we ask that you, um, you send out laborers into your harvest, raise up um, from our own midst, from our own churches, people to go far afield and serve and worship you and raise us up. Show us how we are meant to participate, just even among our own homes and our neighborhoods, um, so that we can proclaim your great gospel and, and that many will come to know your great love and grace. Uh, help us, Lord. Amen.